Let's turn in God's word together to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. As we continue our study in the book of Genesis, we've been looking at how Joseph was, as, uh, at how Joseph was uh, helped by God. God is with him. In this chapter, we see something of a shift. Not that Joseph is absent, but we see that God is working in the brothers of Joseph also. And that's a good thing because not much seems to have been going on in their lives. We hear nothing uh, since they've sold Joseph into slavery. We've heard nothing of their confession of sin. We've heard no, of no pangs of conscience, no, no feeling of guilt to where they're led to confess their sin to their, to their father and against the Lord. They don't have any feeling of that. James Boyce writes of this uh, situation. It's probably right to regard these brothers as unsaved men. Very uh, heavy thought as we think about the fact that they're raised in a covenant home. They're one of twelve, or they're they're the twelve under Jacob. Jacob's called upon his God. He's seen the Lord. He's certainly taught them of the Lord, and they've used certainly used the name of the Lord in their worship with their father. And yet, it appears there's no real faith. There's no real life here, and there's a need for them to be awakened to that. They can sin and feel no pang of conscience. They can sin and have no sense of their need of confession. We want to see how God will often turn people to himself. These are not the only ways that he does it, but this morning we're going to see a few ways that he does that as we study Genesis 42 together. This is the word of God, beginning Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers. For he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no. It is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said, you are spies. 
By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day Joseph said to them, Do this, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when, we, when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the, dwe- at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But he said to him, or, But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land." As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. Being made in the image of God, we know that every person has a conscience. Every person has a sense of right and wrong, whether they 
admit it or not, whether they, they acknowledge God's right and wrong, they all have a sense of it. People will make their own standards. They'll make their own rules. But we have consciences. God says that we know the truth. In our fallen state, we suppress the truth, but we have a conscience. And we know. We know guilt in our hearts. Even when we say, everything's fine. It's all good. There is guilt that we are suppressing. Because God has made us that way. The world may tell you otherwise, but God declares, and He is truth. He declares that we all know. We all know truth. Oh, there are many times, types of ways that we try to gain freedom from guilt. One of those ways is by legalizing everything. Well, let's just make it legal. That way, there's no law against what we're doing. And so we say, well, then it's fine. And we say, well, then if it's fine, then, then there's, no, there's no sense of feeling guilty. And yet, that doesn't work. Oh, we may say, well, I've not broken the law of the land. The law of the land says I can do this. But the law of God says it's wrong, and we know in our hearts it's wrong. And that's why we speak the way we do. That's why we act the way we do. That's why we think the way we do. Though we pretend everything is fine. God's truth cannot be violated without guilt feelings. Another way we try to find freedom from guilt feelings is to surround ourselves with other sinners. We surround ourselves with bad company thinking that if no one cares how we live, then we won't feel guilty. The Bible doesn't promise that. The Bible simply says, you surround yourself with bad company, it will corrupt. It will corrupt you further. It doesn't say, oh, that's, gonna, that's your solution. That's the solution. Just surround yourself with sinners and then the guilt is taken away. All people everywhere know know that they've sinned against God. How do they deal with their guilt feelings if they are not filled with the Spirit of God? They suppress the truth. They don't talk about it. They don't talk about their sin. They think that if they normalize their sin or if they just don't speak about it, they will quiet their conscience. Hiding sin, denying sin, suppressing sin doesn't bring freedom. The only thing that truly frees is confession and repentance and embracing the Lord Jesus Christ by faith for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. God is not harsh. He does not want anyone to perish. Sin destroys. God is a saving God who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 tells us, He's provided redemption, a way to be delivered from guilt. Not just guilt feelings, but from the guilt that we have committed or the sins that we have committed which cause that guilt. The first step of admitting our need of his redemption is that of confession. It's been more than 13 years since Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery and they seem to have put this behind them. They're rid of their brother and they're happy about it. There's no talk about it. They've surrounded themselves and said, here's the deal. Don't talk about the past. Don't bring up the past. Don't even mention the name of Joseph. 
but they're not rid of their guilt. Time had not healed the wound of guilt. As the famine grew in intensity, Jacob says to his sons, why do you look at one another? Does that question strike you as odd? Dad comes in and he sees the brothers. He says, there's food down in Egypt. Now go down to Egypt and get food lest we die. Why are you looking at each other? Children, why do you think they were looking at each other? Kind of like this. One word. Egypt. Was it because they were afraid of Pharaoh? Or was it something else? What did we learn a few chapters earlier? Where did Joseph end up? They sold him to some traders who were going down to Egypt. And just the mention of that place reminded them of what they had done. And they don't want to go there. Is there a word? Is there a place? Is there something in your conscience that when you hear it, you think, don't talk about that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to be reminded of that. It makes me uncomfortable. Well, so it was with Joseph's brothers. Egypt. Just the name, the word bothered them. Because they had been trying to live at peace with their sin. They had agreed among themselves not to talk about their brother who was no longer with them. And that word reminded them of their guilt. People of God, sometimes we think that by leaving something unconfessed, unmentioned, that somehow God's going to forget that sin and we're going to just have peace because we've just pretended that it didn't happen. That's not how it works. The Bible doesn't promise that. God doesn't say that's how forgiveness works. Well, if you just stop talking about it and stop thinking about that particular event, it'll all go away. It doesn't work that way. Because God doesn't want it to work that way. Because when it works that way, when we, di- we pretend that there's no sin that we have to, that, that sin that we've done, that we don't have to deal with that, then it becomes hardened in our hearts and we become more hardened to that sin and we go further and further into that which will destroy. We're on our way to death and we don't even realize it because we've said, I won't die. I won't die because of that. I won't die because of that sin. I won't die. Scales had grown over the hearts of these brothers. They thought this sin had no effect, but it certainly had. They weren't even comfortable around their own father. They increasingly avoided him. They had all heard that there was grain down in Egypt, and he finally comes to to his sons and he says, Why are you sitting there staring at each other? why, Why are you hesitating? Go to Egypt and get some food. He has no idea what that meant to them. And they are increasingly unsure of why they have this feeling because it's been 13, over 13 years and they're thinking, why, why, does it so, why does it bother us so much? People of God, it's a gracious thing that God does when he brings us face to face with our unconfessed sin. It is no escape to say, well, I've made peace with that event. 
that event in my life. It's in the past. It's forgotten. Notice I didn't say I've confessed that sin to God and he has forgiven me. It's, I'm talking about when we say I've made peace with that event. It just, it's like it never happened. I don't, have to, I don't have to deal with it. That's completely different. There is forgiveness in Christ for any and every sin. But when we pretend that we can live in a sin and, and ignore that it has any effect on us and say that there's nothing that's going to affect us, then we are lying to ourselves. And God will bring us face to face with our need. Unconfessed sin wreaks havoc on relationships, on our emotional lives. And going to a place where we're surrounded by people who live the same way we do in sin or, or, or just saying we're not going to talk about it, that, doesn't, that won't bring peace. We find release from past sins and from guilt when we confess them, being reconciled. To God and taking hold of his promises that in Christ every sin that we've ever committed can be forgiven. But when we think we're going to take a different path, find a different solution other than that one way, then we're simply fooling ourselves. It is only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as we make it our own by faith that can deliver us from sin and from the guilt of sin, bringing us, making us at peace with God and God at peace with us. You see, the promise that God forgives sins in Christ does not mean that we don't have to confess our specific sins and ask for forgiveness. To confess our specific sins is for us, you see. God doesn't, it's not like God forgot or doesn't know. He says, I want you to see, I want you to hear what it is that grieves you as it grieves me. Do you see what you've done? I am willing to forgive. Are you willing to part ways with that sin? We must agree with God about the heinousness of our sins, the deadliness of our sins. We don't confess our sins to God to make him aware of them. We confess our sins to make ourselves aware of them and to build up our consciences in line with God's Word. You see, the conscience is either weakened or strengthened depending on what it is that's guiding the conscience. Is it the Word of God or is it the world? That will determine whether your conscience is working properly or not. When they arrive in Egypt, God led the brothers to stand before Joseph. And we read that he recognized them. He remembered what they had done. He remembered the dreams that God had given to him. And knowing what we know about Joseph, we might expect, well, here it is. He's just going to say, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. Here I am. Let's be reconciled. But in, for some reason, and the only thing we can, we, can, we can fathom is God kept him from saying that so that he might work through Joseph, in the lives of his brothers. Some scholars think Joseph was wrong for not immediately revealing himself, but Joseph, under God's leading, does not do that. 
as a spokesman for God, he's led in his words and actions to set before the brothers the severity of their state. You are spies. And they say, oh no, we're honest men. Did you hear that? How many times that was said in the text? We're honest men. We're honest. We're honest. Really? Would Joseph say that? Or more importantly, would God say that? They were not honest men. Oh, they weren't spies in this immediate context, but they've been lying to their father for over 13 years. And God's word through Joseph is you need to examine your evaluation of yourself or you will perish in your way. Joseph did not mistreat them by speaking sternly to them. What they had done was extremely wicked and they needed to recognize that and come to a point of confession. Joseph wanted to find out what was in their hearts. He charges them with being spies to find out what they would answer. He, why are they in Egypt? Are they there to find food or are they there maybe to find their brother? He doesn't know. Maybe something had changed. But there is no mention of the brother. The Lord leads the conversation that is had between Joseph and his brothers. And through this, Joseph is comforted for he hears that his father and his younger brother are yet alive. God is gracious to Joseph in this time of waiting as he waits and hopes for reconciliation. He's comforted. He wanted to be reconciled with his father and his younger brother and with all of his brothers, but the Lord would do this through testing. The Lord was testing them. He was working through this event to work confession in their hearts. People of God, that's how he works in our hearts. He tests us. He's, he doesn't say, I'm unwilling to have you reconciled. I'm, I'm, I want to know where your hearts are at. Do you understand where your hearts are at? Why are you here? Are you coming to pray to me to say, well, I prayed today, or are you here because you want fellowship with me? Joseph puts the brothers in prison for three days. We can't look at all the details, but we're looking at some of the important ones here this morning. Joseph puts them in prison for three days, and they sit with their thoughts. And when they're before Joseph once more, he commands them to bring their younger brother back, and they agree. They don't see that they have a choice. They start to think about how this loss of Joseph pained their father Jacob in this process. As they think about, boy, if we try to bring Benjamin back, we know that's not going to fly because we know how pained our father would be. Is it, does, it start to, does it start to sink in? We don't know. But the Lord's working, and he says, do you understand what a pain it causes me when you sin against me and you, and you do not confess to me? Well, as they 
agreed to this. Their thoughts are revealed. Verse 21, they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. God's stern words and action had led them to acknowledge their guilt, though they did not yet confess to God. And before they leave, Joseph binds their brother Simeon before their eyes. Another brother bound in Egypt. Do they appreciate the symbolism? Do they recognize that they themselves are bound? In their guilt, their consciences being bound. <clears throat> we have to wonder, would they come back for their brother? Or would they make up some story about his absence to their father and say, yeah, he, he just stayed behind. And then just forget it and try to find food elsewhere. Was something going to change in their hearts? Or would they be the same and say, well, it's another brother. Just, we got to just kind of keep it going here. Find our own way. Friends, God at times speaks stern words and takes severe action in our lives so that we might wake up to our sin and to Him. Behind this is love. God disciplines those He loves. Hebrews 12, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. The undisciplined one is out of control. The undisciplined one goes his or her own way and will not end well. God was working to draw these brothers out of sin to himself, turning their hearts to him. He still does that today. Turns people to himself by what we call a severe mercy. Simeon is condemned. He's under threat of death. Truly, they all were. If they didn't bring their brother back, there would be no food for them. If they did not turn from their sin, they would face death. That's the picture here. Well, they don't know what to make of Joseph, but they had his word. What does he say to them? Do what I tell you for what? I fear God. Joseph's doing God's work. It's heavy work, but needed work, and the end would be good for them. James Boyce makes this comment, The brothers were able to see the one act of Joseph, that is, putting Simeon in bonds, and not the other when he wept at their confession, verse 24. This left them with a partial view of this ruler. The brothers at this point would have judged Joseph to be harsh and unfeeling. Little did they know that benefit or that beneath, rather, his rough ways, intended for their good, there was a heart filled with the most compassionate love for them. How do we view God's discipline? Do we see only that harshness? Do we see it as harsh, or do we see it as loving, to where we can say, thanks be to God that he kept me from going that way? Continuing down that path. Continuing in that activity, though no one else can see, even those sins God sees. He doesn't want them to destroy. 
We often use Joseph's words later in chapter 50 to speak of God's working good for Joseph, but God was working good for Joseph's brothers as well, and he does for his people. Well, before they left, Joseph puts all their money back in their bags with the grain given to them. It's a tremendous kindness. To this point, the interventions of the Lord had a, a rather rough edge to them. He's, he's intervening their lives, trying to, to, to stir them up in their stern words and their, and their forceful words. Here we see a complete act of kindness where they are undeserving of this. He's intending all things for good. But it all issued from his graciousness, not just this kindness, but the stern words that they might consider their way and turn. It forced them, this situation forced them to sit with their thoughts. And in the case of the return money, we see the pure graciousness of God. He showed them an undeserved kindness through Joseph. And what does it say? Their hearts stopped. They were that shocked and afraid. And it's the first time in this account of Joseph's brothers that they mention God. What is this that God has done to us? They're being awakened to what God is doing. How can we deal with the burden of unconfessed sin? How can we be free of guilt feelings? Only by confession. There's a big roadblock in, that, in front of that action. However, we have three great enemies, the, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. The devil turns us away from God, first getting us to delight in sin. And then when we have a pang of conscience, he says, oh, you can't go to God and confess now. He'll never receive you. The world says, come along, come along in our debauchery, come along in our immorality. And then when we say, but I want to turn back, they say, whatever, we don't care. You're not a part of us anymore. Or they say, no, 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 you don't understand. You haven't reached the point of satisfaction yet. Go deeper into sin. And in our own hearts, as we find delight in sin, perhaps through God's grace and mercy, are turned and we have a pang of conscience. We're pained by the guilt and we say, ah, but I could never go back to the Lord now. He would never receive me. And yet he assures us that he will. He works sometimes with a severity that is Uncomfortable to be sure, but it is meant to grab our attention, to grab our hearts, to turn us away from ourselves and to turn humbly to him. The brothers aren't there yet. They go back to their father and explain what happened, but they're not sure what to make of it. They describe themselves as honest men yet in verse 34, and they say, we, have, uh, uh, we, we explain to him the situation. One is no more. They still uh, hold to their story about Joseph. He's no longer with us. And they go back to the father and tell this story. And Reuben then says, well, the brothers say together, we must go back with Benjamin. And Jacob says, no, you will not take my son. And Reuben says, you can take my two sons and kill them if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. But you see, that's not going to take care of their guilt. 
This isn't the substitute they need. This isn't the substitute they need. They need to confess to God and receive from him the forgiveness. Confession is still the only route, and God alone can provide that forgiveness. God was not done with Joseph's brothers yet, as we're going to see. He was going to show them an even greater revelation of his goodness. It would come from an unexpected place, from a brother who they thought was dead. And we think of the disciples after Jesus' crucifixion. What did they think? They thought he was dead. This one, the scripture says, is our elder brother. They think he's dead. But the good news from God for those under the guilt of sin is this, that payment for sin has been made through this one who was dead but who is alive forevermore. The one who now sits at God's right hand and says, Come, come those of you who hunger and thirst. Find rest from your guilt. Find rest from your pain. There is forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ. We are to call on him. We are to but trust him. We are to love him. Turning from our pet sins, our treasured sins, and saying no longer will we find peace with them, but we will be at war that we might know peace with God through him. He says, come, and I will not turn you away. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, who has paid for all our sins with his precious blood. Help us, Lord, to see where we have things that we will not let go of, that we are holding on to as though they are giving us life, things that we are holding on to that we need to let go of things that we need to put to death. Lord, help us to examine our own hearts and not to lay our decision-making at the foot of someone else saying, well, it's because of this or because of that that I do what I do. Lord, may we hear in your word this morning that call to, to come, to confess, to believe that we might be set free from our guilt and from all of our worries and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us, we pray, for we ask it in his name. Amen.